We're going to be in Romans 7, 14 through 8, 14, which is a big bite of Scripture. And I'll take a look at the clock, and you can remind me that I'm, I think I'm getting underway here at 1027. And Pastor Rob said we need to be out by 2. <laughs> so you keep an eye on that. I'll know I'm done when you get up and walk out. Father, this morning your word is truth as always. And I believe that you said to us, Lord Jesus, that we would know the truth and it would make us free. Lord Jesus, come in us this morning in a way that brings freedom. As we've seen you moving by your spirit in other places, we pray you will move here and break every chain that holds us in bondage in any way to the world and its orders. Father, I thank you that you dwell in unity in the community of the triune Godhead and that the Holy Spirit indwells us today that we might commune with you in perfect harmony. Minister inside of us by revelation and truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul the Apostle is writing a huge discourse here in the book of Romans. And to lift out a section like 714 to 814, when I read it, what happens is I end up backing up. You ever do that? Read the Bible backwards? And you read 7, and you read 8, and you think, well, in order for me to understand this, it looks like I need to back into chapter 6. And then you read chapter 6, and you think, I need to back into chapter 5. And pretty soon you find yourself in 3. And, and so it is a, a challenge for us this morning to lift a section out of the, the book of Romans this way, because Paul is discussing with us the issue of the laws of God, the commandments of God. He's already discussed in Romans chapter 6 the issue of our baptism. How many of you have been baptized in water? And, and so you've been there. And I'm, in some conversations with others, I, I, we've said, I wonder if we really grasp what happened at our baptism sometimes. Some of us were baptized. I was baptized in, in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, I was also baptized in Pachuca, Mexico, in a, in a tank in front of a congregation. I, I like the one in, it was actually swimming in the Gulf, but... But I was young in the Lord, and I'm not sure I really captured what was happening. I was being obedient to Christ, and I was following Him in what He had demonstrated. And so in that baptism, I knew I was giving my life to Him. But when I read Romans 6 now, and it talks about that baptism, it says, I was dead that day. It says, you died that day. It says that you stood and identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that you, in your body, if you will, in your life, were nailed to the cross with Jesus. Your sins took him there, right? You nailed him there. And when you nailed him there, he took your sins in his body on the tree, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again. And it says that you and I are now walking in newness of life. We're not the same old people anymore. Paul wrote in Corinthians, he says, any person that's in Christ is a brand new creature. Old things passed away. Everything becomes new. We tend to believe sometimes that uh, 
we were just sort of rehashed. That God just sort of rebuilt us. My Bible says all things were made new. The old me, the sinful me, the one who was an enemy of God was nailed to the cross. I died that day. You died that day. Kind of getting ahead of myself, but you wouldn't know that if I didn't tell you. I have an extra biblical theory that I, that I live by and I, I, I accept because I made it up. And so it makes sense to me. When Jesus was on the cross, the Bible records for us that it, the sun went dark for how long? I mean, the sun was blotted out. How about we just say a long time and not try and pass the test today? A long time. My theory is that Jesus is on the cross and the sins from the beginning of time until the end of time are converging in one place in His body. Every person's entire sin life has come to this place this day and is being nailed to the cross and dying there with Christ. And I thought, now that kind of darkness would blot out the sun. Not even the natural burning star could stand up to that kind of darkness. Theory. Extra biblical. Okay? It's not doctrine. It's just the way I see it. And it helps me recognize that I was there that day. And I was at that cross. And I was in Him. And my old man was crucified. Paul's talking about the law, and he moves into from 6 into 7, and he's having a conversation about, is the law bad? Is the law good? Uh, what's the deal with the laws of God? And, and, and this wrestling match is going on. And we come to the classic place where he has the discussion that in the King James or the New King James, Bible tends to confuse us. And so I've written it out for you this morning in the New Living Translation. And at 14, he says, So the trouble isn't with the law, for the law is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Paul had said earlier, he said, I, there was a time in my life where I lived and I didn't know about the law, so I was free from it. But then somebody said to me, the law states, thou shalt not covet and I was a coveter. And so he says, the law revived, and I died. Why? Because the law kills us. The law holds us in contempt of God. When it says, thou shalt not, and you have, then you're an enemy of God. You're breaking His commands. You're not in fellowship with Him. So Paul said, when I lived without the law, it was great, because I never sinned. But when the law came up and stared me down, I died. It killed me. In a room like this, we could say, well, maybe you've kept all the law. Did you know that if you could keep all the laws perfectly, you would, you would have eternal life? 
That was the requirement of God. In order to live forever, you have to keep all the law. And there's this caveat that's given to us in the New Testament. says if you fail in one, you're guilty of all. So let's just take one. Now, thou shalt not lie. And we've given it to us in the King James. Thou shalt not lie. So all of us that haven't lied, I'd appreciate if you'd just stand up. And uh, it's always the young ones, you know. I would say just stand up and prove to us that you have. <laughs> and we laugh because laughter is directly associated with guilt level. And we're all caught in our sin. Right? And it kills us. The wages of sin is death. Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 3. And we're reading backwards again. Romans 3. The wages of sin are death. Oh, I'm sorry. Romans 6. 23. We're guilty. We can't keep the law. Joel, he says, is the law bad? Has the law become sin to me? No, the law is good. The law is holy. The law is spiritual. The problem is with me. I know that nothing good, verse 18, lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power or another law within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Take a moment, look at the person next to you and say to them, Oh, what a miserable person you are. (laughs) It's much easier to say it about them than to look in the mirror. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Sometimes we don't get the real meaning. We're not Greek scholars. We don't read it in the Greek. But this passage says, in my sarks, my sinful nature. Other versions say, in my body, there dwells no good thing. But in the Greek, there's a different word for body, and that's soma. Soma is talking about this little tent we live in. Okay, It's the, it's the flesh part of us that we need to live in every day. God is highly interested in your soma. He loves your soma. He came to redeem you spirit, soul, and soma. Ready? Body. Spirit, soul, and body. He's interested in your body. He wants us to take care of our bodies. He's looking to resurrect our bodies. He's looking to give us new bodies. Amen? That live forever. He's not against your body. I know sometimes you look in the mirror and you wonder. God, why did you give me this thing to live in? You know, if it's just an earth suit, can I turn it in and get a new one? But he's interested in your body. What he's not interested is this, what Paul says, in my sarks, in my carnal nature, in my fallen man, there dwells no good thing. I don't even have the possibility of pleasing God if I live according to the sarks, the fallen 
carnal nature. My sinful nature. And this discourse, I know when I read it in the King James, it's like, I, I do what I don't want to do, I can't do what I want to do, and I can't, and I get to the end, I go, I am so confused. What is he saying? So I picked this because it really makes more sense to me in verse 20 when he says, if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong, it's sin living in me. What does that mean? I'm born again, I'm a new creature. Uh, my spirit man's been made new. I just mentioned a while ago, Paul said, all things are brand new. But there is this part of us, this, this connected to us, this flesh part of us, that's drawn to the world's order. It's tempted by the enemy. It's tempted. It's drawn aside. James says when we're, we're tempted and enticed by the things that used to entice us, and we're drawn away in our own lust, and then when that lust conceives, it creates sin. And when sin is complete, it brings death. I used to call that the Bible LSD, lust, sin, and death, for those that lived in that era. Actually, for those that lived through that era, you're still here. Sin living in me does it. I, I almost wanted to say, Paul, are you kind of slipping out here? Are you slipping by? You say, well, it's not me that's sinning, it's my body. Hello? How do I compartmentalize that far? How can I say, that's not me, it's my it's the carnal nature, he said. This is a war going on. There's a struggle with sin constantly. I don't think I'm the only one in the room that has this problem. Right? Am I? I should just leave now and go home and preach to myself. There's a principle. When I want to do what's right, I do what's wrong. Young people, you struggle with this as well. I, I hope that you get a revelation this morning from his word that helps you overcome in the next 20, 30 years of your life. Because this can capture you. This sin problem, this wrestling, this struggling can drive you into shame. It can drive you into hiding from God. It can drive you into not being open and honest in your relationships with people. Because you know what you do and you don't want anybody else to know. You know the thoughts that go through your mind and the enemy is right there to condemn you. Right? I mean, as soon as this happens... He's talking in your ear. I see you shaking your head. I know I'm not the only one. This is a war. This is a struggle. In fact, the title, I think, is on there, right? Struggling with sin. Does it say that at the beginning of this passage? I put that there. Struggling with sin. And then we, we if you had read earlier in Romans 6, you would hear Paul saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. I hear that as a directive. I hear that as a command from the apostle. You don't let it happen. Immediately I'm thinking, I, I've tried. It doesn't work. I've tried not to let it happen. It still happens. 6.13, don't present your members as instrument of unrighteousness. And then I do. Verse 14, he says in chapter 6, Sin shall not have dominion over you. And I wonder. Here's the problem. It seems to me, at times, like sin is winning. It seems to me, at times, like God's really not helping me like He said He would. And I can almost... 
I compartmentalize things a lot. I separate things. I see life like a train. I, I call it slowing down the train. And when you ever sat in front of a train going by, the thing comes down, you're right at the front car. Your head's just winging, and you're trying. And if you try and watch the cars go by individually, it just make you sick. I say, slow down the train. You know, let me see one car at a time, God. Let me see this struggle. Help me identify what's happening. You say that sin won't have dominion over me, and yet I sin. And then I come under condemnation. The enemy, with his fiery darts, throws him in as quick as it happens and sticks that thing in my brain and says, you're a loser. You say you believe in Jesus? You say you've got victory? You dance around? You sing like you've got it? And then I've got you, I've got you right here. You'll never be free of this. You're always going to be like this. And then you go to your life group and you sit across from people and you pray and eat cookies and you worship together. And it says, anybody need prayer? Man, you are ready for prayer. Inside you're saying, God, help me. But I'm not telling them what's going on. And so we ask for prayer for somebody that's outside the room. Oh, let's, my, my, you know, my uncle needs prayer. My grandma's not feeling good. My, and we start pointing in every direction but towards our own heart, towards our own struggle. Why? Because we feel like the enemy has pressed in on us and says it feels like we're losing. It feels like sin is winning. And they're like God is separate in his universe somewhere without me. I have this kind of deistic view of God that says he came, created everything, put everything in motion, said, there you go, you're on your own, work it out the best you can, and he left. And in my struggle, I said, God, where are you? I'm not alone in this. There's plenty of psalms in here where the psalmist was writing, God, pleading, come, help me. Where are you in my time of need? We have this similar struggle. Paul had this struggle. And yes, I know that some of you are saying, but you stopped reading too soon. Yes, I did on purpose. Thank you, class, for paying attention. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? This word dominate, not that I want to spend a lot of time on it, but the picture is very much like that of oppression. The, the word philipsis in the Greek about oppression means to take a, like a stack of papers like this. If you had a bunch of loose papers and you had a, everybody's turn them in and you stack them up and they're, they're about this high. But you know they're not really that big. So you put your hand on top and you push down. And you press all the air out from between the pages and it comes out about that thick, about a half an inch. That's the word for oppression in the Greek. It means that the enemy comes to lay his hand on you, if you will, almost on your back, if you can see a picture of this, and put his hand on you and just squeeze all the life out of you. Just press the air out of you. Have you ever fallen and knocked the air out of yourself, had your lung collapse, and you're going, <gasps> trying to scramble for air? It's that feeling that all the air has been knocked and pressed out of you, and your life is going away. And fear sets in. This is oppression. The devil comes. And it says that who will free me from this life that is dominated? Dominated means to take the neck and turn it in a certain direction. To take my attention and always turn it in one place. My life seems to always be turned. The body of this flesh that I live in has an attraction to and a turning toward those things that are unpleasing to God. 
This is the struggle I'm in. Who's going to free me from this life that's oppressed and dominated by sin and death that is connected to this flesh I live in? Because in my mind, I want to please God. Isn't that true about you? In your mind, you love God. You love His Word. You love to worship. You love to pray. You love to be in fellowship with Him and His people. But there's this struggle, this war that conflicts with it. And Paul says, I find this law, there's a war going on against my mind. That's why I also wrote that we should bring every thought captive to Christ. Because the warfare happens right here. Mostly the warfare is in our mind. The turmoil. Verse 25, thank God. Thank God. I know I didn't do it on yours probably, but on mine, it's bold. I put bold. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's an old one. Some of you like it. Maybe some of you haven't heard it, so I'll fall to it. It's a Sunday school class. And the teacher says, now kids, I'm going to describe something. And as soon as you know what it is, just raise your hand. Okay? Already? And they said, yeah, we're ready. Okay. Small, four legs, gray, bushy tail. Boom, the arm goes up. Yes, Johnny. He says, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. Because you know, at church and in Sunday school and in kids' zones, we're always taught Jesus is always the answer, right? Well, you know what? Today, the answer is in Jesus Christ. It's not in a squirrel. Amen? We have a supernatural one part of the triune God who is where we find our answer. And that's what Paul comes to. He says, I'm describing to you a wrestling and a struggling match that goes on probably for the rest of your life on earth. Where am I going to find freedom? Where am I going to find deliverance from this constant war where I don't want to sin, but I do? Where I don't want to offend God, but I do? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And then he continues in chapter 8. So now, there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. We hear this verse probably regularly. You know, we say it to each other. Hey, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. You know, don't get under that. Don't let that bother you today. This is not the word, unfortunately, for us. That's a good application. It's a good principle to live by. I wouldn't take it away from you. But when he says here in this passage, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, this word condemnation is eternal judgment. There is no point for you and I ever again. I hope you hear this. There is no place where you will ever be put up against the judgments of God, ever. There is no place in the future where God is waiting to bring judgment against you that will condemn you and separate you from Him for eternity. It's not going to come. Am I making myself pretty muddy or clear? You, today, can be assured by the Apostle Paul, by the work of Jesus Christ, that you've been separated forever from condemnation, eternal judgment. Jesus, when he went to the cross, took all your sin. He took all your judgment. He took all your penalty. He took all your pain. He took the pressure of your life. And he nailed it in his body on the cross. You died that day. Therefore, you are now set free by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living in you. You get to live a new life. You get to live a life you didn't deserve. You get everything 
that you shouldn't have, and you're not going to get everything you should have. Now I'm starting to talk like Paul. This eternal judgment has been removed from me. When I stand before the Father, when you stand before the Father, the just judge of all men, and he takes his gavel up and says, I'm looking at the list of stuff in your life. This kind of picture of people paint for us is going to review us and look at all that and go, my, I need to pull this gavel down, slam it to the, to the bench and say, guilty, you are going to hell. Your sins have killed you. The law said you shouldn't, and you did, and off you go. You and I will never be friends again. And as he pulls the gavel up, Jesus steps in because 1 John chapter 2 says he is our lawyer. And he steps right in there and he says, whoa, whoa, judge, wait just a minute. Remember the day I took all their sins in my own body and nailed it to the cross and I died because of their sin? Well, they're free to go. And, and the father lays down the gavel and says, that's true, you're acquitted. Never again will you come under my judgment. Never, ever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Hey, we're free today. We are free. I'm not saying you shouldn't apply it on a regular basis and say, oh, there's no condemnation. Quick, run from that thought. Yes, use the Scriptures against the enemy and against the carnal nature of your mind when it starts arguing with you. Say, no, the Bible says there's, I'm never going to be And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Wow! Is this really available? Sin doesn't control me anymore. It doesn't turn my neck. It doesn't dominate. It doesn't lead me into a place where the enemy can come and oppress me with accusations and press the life out of me. Wait, is this truth? God, come with your truth and set us free this morning. Because yes, it is true. The question mark is removed. God declared an end to sin's control over us. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, verse 5, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. And isn't that true? We know that. We've verified this truth. We have verified it. Letting my sinful nature, that part of me that still gets attracted to the old life, to the world, to its order, to its schematic, that's drawn aside by temptation, when I let that control my mind, it leads me right to death. And the enemy of our soul, Satan, is not, he has no new information. You know, in the Garden of Eden, he said, if you, if, you know, if you eat that, you won't surely die, will you? The question mark, you know, doubt God. Put yourself in the place of God. If you eat that, you'll be like him. Substitute God with yourself. 
You can be like him. You can be, you can take the place of God. He comes to us in similar ways. In the garden, he said, when you eat that, you won't die. Crunch, they eat. Hey, look, we're not dead. Wasn't instantaneous, was it? We know that. And the same thing happens for us when the temptation comes and the whisperers in our ear and tempting our hearts. Look, it's not going to be that bad. You've done that before. It never comes. You won't die. But it leads to death. Doesn't it? It mars our relationships with one another. It puts that distance between God and I. I feel like I shouldn't approach Him now. The the unholiness comes. The enemy just bathes us in condemnation. Look at you. You you should never even talk to Him again. He doesn't even like you. And we're distanced from God. But the Holy Spirit is gracious. You see, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation causes us to move away from God. Conviction of the Holy Spirit, His love for us, as we've said before, He's like the pit bull of heaven. He just He's on you. He loves you. He's never letting go. He's latched on and it's too late for you. He's going to take you to heaven forever. And so when those things come, the Holy Spirit comes and gently convicts us. And conviction causes us to turn toward God. And we come to Him and say, Father, my sinful nature has taken me down again. And I need Your grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says that we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we have yet without sin. Therefore, we should boldly come before the throne of grace that we might find grace and mercy in time of need to help us. I like pointing out that mercy is for everything in the past for us. Mercy is for all the things I've done. God, I need your mercy. I need your acquittal again today. And now that I'm free in this instant moment, right here, draw a line in history. The past is forgiven. I need your grace in order to move forward. Because I cannot do this on my own. I've proven it too many times. My strength, my ability is too weak to make this really work. You said that sin would not have dominion over me. You said that it would no longer dominate and control my future. And Lord, I'm tempted. There are things that draw me aside. I war with it. I struggle with it. What's going to happen? The answer must be in Jesus. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Oh, don't you love His peace? For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, we should just underline that, but you, you know, me, are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Underline, Christ lives in you. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of the sin, the Spirit gives you life. Because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Is this true today? And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. I have the opportunity, you have the opportunity today to live by the Holy Spirit, to live by Him, the indwelling one. 
Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive. Yet it's not me that's living. It's Christ who's living in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You do, we need to understand that God's love is constantly looking for the moment to pull us in. The enemy wants to convince us that every time we fail, God is looking for a way to whack us and push us away. It's not true. He put all those accounts in the Scriptures for us to understand that it's like the prodigal stun principle. When we stray, he's out on the front porch waiting for us to come home. People have said it doesn't matter how many steps you've taken away from God, it's only one step back because he's following you. (laughs) You think you're moving away from him and he's not letting go. He said, I'm going to live in you. I'm going to dwell in you. Wherever you go, I go. Whatever you do, I have to do with you. We're not separated from Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and present the life of Christ in us. And now, like Paul, we can say, I'm crucified with Christ, but I'm still alive. His life is being lived out through me. That's a pretty powerful life. One that can move into the tomb and bring him out alive. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He will quicken your mortal body. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, and I just learned this myself about a month ago. I mean, I've read this. I've known that scripture for more than 40 years. But I didn't understand this part of it until a month ago. It just shows you that, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. When he said, the life that I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, I always assumed that it just meant the flesh, this container. It's not that. He uses the word sarks. The life that I now live in this sinful nature container. The one that I that I live out the warfare in against the old nature, the carnal man that fights against the life that I now live in that battle. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and draws me closer all the time. He gave himself up for me. We sang about it this morning, how much he loves us. The battle is won by Christ living in us. Not by us trying harder. I've tried harder. Have you? Just to fail further. Ah! Paul says, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our mind is set on things above. There's a choice in here. Yes, there is a choice. It's not an automatic system. The things come up and I get to make a choice. You know, I'm stimulated, and then I need a response. And between the two, between being stimulated and developing a response, there's a place in the middle where I get to decide. Who am I going to yield to now? Who will I yield my members to? Because Paul said, whoever you yield your members to, that's who you are a slave of. If you yield your members to unrighteousness, then you're a slave to sin. You enslave yourself. And that's what condemns you. But you get a choice. I get a choice to say, I'm not going to have that thought. I'm not going to entertain that action. I'm not going to do that thing. I am not going to give up to that. And now, here, but isn't that where the war is? And isn't that where we usually lose? Hmm? Yeah, I'm being honest with us here this morning. I'm being practical. 
I'm going to give you the answer now. Is that all right? See, this is good preaching. First, I preach you in the ditch. And then I help you out. Is it, is it Colossians one twenty seven? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Philippians 1. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it. Hey, you're under construction. If you haven't, turn your sheet over. On the back, it says, huh, winning the match. This is, this is very important to me, and I won't be long to conclude. Of course, you remember that story about the little guy in church? He said, with his mom and dad, every time something happened, he'd tug on mom and say, Mom, what does that mean? You ever heard this? You know, it's kind of new in the big church. You've always been in kids' own eyes in the big church. And so somebody stands up and says, we're going to, what does that mean? Well, that means we're opening in prayer. Oh, okay. And then the song starts. And uh, then somebody comes with the plate or the bags. And, wow, what does that mean? Well, they're going to take up an offering. That's how we support the church. Oh, okay. And the pastor's preaching and he goes like this. And the guy says, what does that mean? She says, that means absolutely nothing. I guess I should have, should have explained for the recording that he looked at his watch. You know, says, that doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does mean something. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, verse twelve, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. This is a freeing statement for me. Oh. I don't have an obligation anymore. It was compelling before. It felt like I needed to do it. it. It called out to me again from my past and said, come do it again. Come participate in this, whatever it is for you, particular sin. Come enjoy your compulsive behavior. Come, go ahead. It's okay. You know, the grace is good for you. God will forgive you. This one more time. But didn't Paul also write, don't use grace as an overcoat? For your sinful nature. Don't take grace and just put it, say, I can do whatever I want. Grace comes to set us free and to keep us free. I can wait. It's okay. No problem, Taurus. Not a problem. It used to be that two things would steal the meeting. One was pets and the other was kids. You can bring either one of those in and you lose. You just might as well stop. But now it's pets, kids, and cell phones. <laughs> you have no obligation. I hope you'll read this again and again until something is turned on by the Spirit that says, Oh, I'm not obligated to live in the past. I don't owe the past anything. I don't owe my old nature a visit. It doesn't need whatever it is. It's crying out to me. My body's yelling at me, saying, Do it again. We need it. You say, no, I'm not obligated to do that for you. You're dead. And today you're going to die a little further. And your power is going to become less. Because there's a spirit of Jesus living in me. And he's going to empower me to say no. Titus chapter 2, you want to jot it down. The, the grace of God has now appeared teaching us to say no to ungodliness. And living according to this world structure. The grace of God helps us say no. It's not my own strength. 
I can set it up as well as I can. And here's, here's where it ends. For if you live by its dictates, you'll die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. When I first studied this passage, it was in a King James Bible. And it says here, But if you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Well, if you get out your concordance, do a simple word study, you'll end up in Colossians 3.5, where Paul says, Mortify the the deeds of the flesh. And he puts a list there. And he says fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he says, you need to mortify. That's not a word we use very often. Mortify the deeds of your flesh. So I looked it up. I want to know what he was telling me to do. And in Colossians 3, 5, the Greek word, which I won't bother trying to explain. I mean, pronounce because it's difficult. And we don't want to be confused. Because I'm already confused. Why multiply it? But the word says, the illustration is this. When sin comes up, it is your responsibility to grab it and take the life out of it. Pull the life out of it. Wrestle it to the ground and hold it there and say no. Okay? So this is the struggle. Sin sin arrives. Temptation comes. The flesh says, I'm interested in this. You're supposed to grab it with all your strength. Wrestle it to the ground. Steal its life and hold it there. And you'll win. Really? What's your experience? What's my experience? I hold it there. And the next thing that's in my mind is this. If I get up and I let go, it's going to get up and come right at me again. Right? Isn't that what we experience? I can hold it there as long as I'm able until my strength wanes and then it gets up and it attacks me again and it wears me down. Why? Because in your own strength, you can't defend yourself forever. But Paul says it's still your responsibility to mortify, wrestle to the ground the deeds of the flesh. So we try. We work at it. And we fail. But this verse... Chapter 8.13 in Romans, in the King James, it said, If through the power of the Spirit you mortify. I thought, can that be the same word? Guess what? It's not. It's an entirely different Greek word that's used that we can miss the meaning of. It says that once I've mortified it in my strength and I'm holding it to the ground, that I should begin to cry out for the life of Jesus to come. Spirit of Jesus, come. Life of Jesus, come. The same Spirit that raised you from the dead, come here and now. And the new Greek word says that when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of God comes, and it can be from within you. See, because you're living by the Spirit, right? He's inside. And so when He comes, when He mortifies, it means that He annihilates it. He takes it to dust. He pronounces an end to it that says it will never again exist for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not accusing you. I'm hoping. And I know it's warm in here. And lots of you are already taking naps, I can see. It's okay. I'll give you 120 seconds, you'll be back. Maybe. Fresh, ready to listen again. 
I mean, I'd, if I thought it would help, I'd put the air conditioning on, make you just stay awake and hear this. I know if I'm, I, what I'm trying to say is I'm not really boring you, but maybe I am. I'll use this. I, I've told this story before, and it goes too far back. I need a fresh one, but this one's always pertinent for me. When I was young, I decided I was a Christian, and, and I was still smoking. You, Pastor Jeff? Yeah. I was smoking. And I got this picture one day that as I inhaled, I was the Holy Spirit. I knew he lived inside. And I had this. He showed me this picture. And, and he went, all I could see was him in there going, <coughs> inside me. Not again. Huh. Huh. You know, and I thought, oh, how rude. I, I wouldn't even do that to my friends, you know. <laughs> Unload on them in their face like that. And I thought, oh, I'm offending God, so I'm going to quit. And it was so easy to quit. I quit five times. <laughs> Anybody else have that same experience? Yeah. And every time I quit, it got worse. You know, if I was a half a packer, the first time I quit, I was now a full packer. And the second time I quit, I was a pack and a half. And, then, and finally, you know, I'm up to too much that, uh, that anybody would want to do in a day. And I said, God, I cannot. If you hear three things in these three sections today, here's this. One, the first one says, I cannot. The struggle with sin, I cannot. Two, he can. Three, he will. I said, I can't do this. I can't quit. I'm praying. I'm asking you just to remove whatever the addiction is or the nicotine. I don't understand how it works, but I'm connected to it, and I'd like to be disconnected. And only you have the power to do that. Forgive me. Release me. Deliver me. And and make it so I don't even want it anymore. And if I ever smoke again, you know, this is the human side coming in. And if I ever do, make me sick. Because I'd never been sick from smoking. I'd smoked. I grew up in an alcoholic home, so all this stuff's readily available. Booze and drink and, you know, smoking. And was I started early. I get up the next morning. There is nothing in me that wants to smoke. And I'm surprised. They go, it's not there. I go through the day. No urge, no desire, no, no attraction at all. And I literally have not smoked since that day. I'm not tempted by it anymore either. That's one thing about sin. You live long enough, you're not tempted by some things. But I don't. I have no desire for that. And I'm thinking, look at all the money I'm saving. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus delivered me. See, he came by his spirit. And he. I wrestled it to the ground and I lost every time. But the last time I wrestled it to the ground and I said, Holy Spirit, come annihilate this thing. And he came in his life-giving power and took it to dust. And he said, you will never again see this one. And I didn't. About a year later, because I was a kid, and so we didn't always have money to buy our own cigarettes, so we scavenged in the ashtrays. Right? That was before we thought we'd get sick from sucking on somebody else's lips, you know? So I'm walking by this. I'm, I'm, I'm free for a year. I'm walking by, and here's this ashtray. There's a big, long one left. I thought, wow, poor guy left the whole thing, you know. I thought, I wonder. I wonder. And where did that thought come from? Little fiery dart. I didn't even see it coming. Hey, I wonder what it would be like. So I pulled that up out of that ashtray. I found a match. I lit that up, and within moments, I was, oh, 
I was so sick. And I thought, I never got sick from doing this. And I'm retching. And it's like he's, I feel this tap on my shoulder. And the father says, I remembered the second prayer. I didn't forget. I didn't forget. And I thought, wow, he's huge. His spirit is alive in me. I have fellowship with him to the point he answers even the smallest prayer, no matter how long it takes for it to come. And I invited him to answer that prayer that day. And he did. And he reminded me that he was the one living inside of me so close, he knew everything I needed. Listen, when the struggle comes, make up your mind to be mindful of the things of the Spirit. Say, I'm not going to dwell on those things. I'm not going to be dominated by my sinful life. I am going to wrestle everything I can to the ground, knowing that if I let up, it will get me again. So when I get it down there and I decide this is no longer a part of my life, then I'm going to invite Jesus who lives in me to come by the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead and just mortify that thing. Completely annihilate it so it's no longer a part of my life. I believe this works for addictions. I believe it can work for shame. I believe this can work for uh, the corruption that's in our life at times. I believe Jesus can overcome everything for us. But I can't overcome anything on my own. Father, this morning, we invite you to be by your Holy Spirit present in us. We've called upon you and we've invited you to live in us. We accept by faith and by knowing your presence with us now that you do live within us. We thank you that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is alive in us right now to help us and to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Father, you know our struggle. You know the match that we've been up against since Paul wrote about these things. It's not new to you. But if for us, we pray revelation, come. Spirit of God, enlighten us. Illuminate our hearts and minds. Revive us in the Spirit to see that we can win in the struggle against sin. We can be victorious in allowing you to live your life out through us. I pray, Jesus, that you will take us further than just the simple question of what would Jesus do. We pray that you would live so much out through us that we would understand it is you making the decisions. It is you doing the leading. We are motivated and our impulse comes from you living through us. Thank you for this moment this morning. And I pray, Father, that if there are others or there are those here this morning that need to be free, need to have chains broken off, that you will empower us to pray together until the victory is won. In Jesus' name, amen.